Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearedCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of ClearedCast. I'm Katie Keller, Editorial Communications Manager with Clearance Jobs. And today I have Zach Callenborn. I'm really excited about this guest. I actually watched him on a webinar, Drones and the Future of Chemical, Biological, and Radiological Threats. Today we're going to get into some of the horrible ways that people kill one another, actually. Drone swarms, weapons of mass destructions, apocalyptic terrorism. His work has actually been published in a wide range of peer-reviewed trade and popular outlets, like some of our friends at Foreign Policy, uh, War on the Rocks, Nonproliferation Review. Officially, though, Zach is a research affiliate with the Unconventional Weapons and Technology Division of the National Consortium for the Study of Terrorism and Responses to Terrorism, START, that is a handful, Um, (laughs) uh, and also uh, officially proclaimed a U.S. Army mad scientist. So thanks so much for joining me today, Zach. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excellent. You know, I first saw you speak with a panel on drones and Cybernia, or well, Cybern threats. What interested you in all this kind of mad scientist stuff? <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. So I was reflecting a little bit on that earlier today. I think part of it is, you know, just having uh, been growing up uh, around like September 11th, you know, one of the most formative experiences that I had towards national security was, you know, the terrorist attacks. Um, and what particularly interested me was like the ability of a small group of people to you know, create really widespread harm. And I think some of those ramifications are, you know, still, uh, we're still realizing how significant that was, as we see with, you know, some of the recent troop decisions in Afghanistan. You know, that's a legacy of 20 years from small number of folks creating huge amounts of harm. And that's particularly what interests me when we talk about like drones, weapons of mass destruction and drone swarms, which is my current big interest is that potential for creating some of these really horrible, deadly weapons that cause massive amounts of harm from really a small number of very ideological, very out there extremist folks. I feel like technology like that has certainly changed, uh, you know, the way that we conduct war. I can't believe that we're coming up on the 20 year mark of September 11th. I mean, that was certainly a situation in my life that uh, motivated me to get into this field. Could you elaborate a little bit on that uh, since we are coming up on the anniversary? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, So I think I was in sixth grade at the time, so it was about 11 or so. And I only have like vague memories of like hearing about it when I was in middle school. And I think it was like, for me, it was like so much of like what happened after that and coming to understand and appreciate it. For me, what I was really curious about is like, why are these folks doing this in the first place? Like I've long been sort of very interested in sort of the problem of evil, as it were. Like, why is it that people do terrible things? Or at least in some cases in their mind, they believe are good things. But in most of the rest of us, like, these are pretty terrible things. And so I, when I did some of the original studying about it, I came to appreciate that, like, I was, I was really amazed at, like, some of the folks that were involved that, where you have folks with like PhDs, very educated folks, um, at least within like leadership cadre of like Al-Qaeda. And it like came to really be fascinating about, okay, why is this? Why why are they actually doing this? And how might this threat really manifest and uh, change in the future? Sure. Well, yeah, those motivations, you know, from the get, I know that we certainly cover those types of topics at news.clearancejobs.com and, you know, some of the cultural aspects. 
You talked a little bit about some of the topics that you cover or that you analyze in your academic research. I'd love to dig in a little bit deeper on those if you don't mind. Yeah, definitely. So there's a few things. So as I mentioned, like my big concern right now and interest is drone swarms, um, which is the idea of you have multiple drones working together in some fashion, uh, making decisions and collaborating. So in uh, October 2016, and I, I should add, like this sounds like science fiction, but uh, it's actually quite real technology. So in October 2016, uh, Strategic Capabilities Office launched 103 Perdex drones out of an F-18, out of three F-18 uh, Super Hornets. All of the drones worked together. They collaborated, uh, conducting various missions, moving across battle spaces. Um, they were doing so all autonomously. And I thought what was particularly significant, interesting, is that like these drones were actually made designed by students at MIT, which suggests like this is a relatively simple technology. And so what I'm particularly interested in, what happens as this scales? Like, okay, so we have 103 drones. What happens if you have 1,000? What happens if you have 10,000? What happens if you have potentially up to a million as uh, the Naval Postgraduate School is uh, doing some modeling work on? And what happens if these are combined with various weapon systems? And what does that mean for broader national security, broader international community? And how do we go about addressing and understanding and then mitigating some of the risks these weapons create? That's one of the things from the discussion that I saw on the panel that you participated in. You guys were talking about, I was trying to chime in in the questions, but you know, artificial intelligence really pushing the envelope when it comes to these things like unmanned aerial vehicles, but drones, drone swarms. Are we actually there yet? Obviously, there are going to be hiccups, but what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so I think we have... It, we are there and we have been there. But I think what the problem is that what there means, there's a lot that sort of get, gets into that. So like, I know when I was first getting into this issue, I sort of thought about artificial intelligence and autonomy, like more like we see in science fiction, like a big Terminator that is intelligent as we are and has like makes complex decisions. That's sort really, of but really when it comes to autonomy, it's really incredibly basic. So if you think about like, if you have a drone sitting on your dining room table and you just hook it up to a big button that says go. And whenever you just push that go button, the drone flies six inches in the air, hovers, and then comes back down. And then that's, and that's all it does. Now that's basically useless for pretty much any possible uh, scenario, but like technically speaking, that's an entirely autonomous system in the sense that it does everything it was designed to do without any level of intervention. So even if we talk about, say, like landmines, in some sense, they're an extremely rudimentary um, autonomous system, though I'll note the Department of Defense excludes them from their definitions of what autonomous systems is. But as a technical level, the ability to just detonate and explode based on some sensor system of like weight and other types of signals is itself an autonomous system. Now, I think the concern now is that we're getting into much more sophisticated uh, levels of autonomy, particularly when you start talking about like machine learning. So most significantly, some of the most significant artificial intelligence are now beating out some of the best human players and say Go and chess and all sorts of other things. Now, those are relatively narrow applications, but it shows that this technology has really come a long way. And I think where we are now is that there is potential an increasing focus on incorporating some aspect of autonomy into weapon systems. And in fact, that to an extent, that's already here. So I believe it's the Aegis system, or the CWIS rather, the Close In Weapons Support, I can't remember what the S stands for, um, that's deployed on a number of naval ships um, that actually incorporates some uh, artificial intelligence, that has an artificial intelligence option in which it may act uh, autonomously in extreme situations. So this technology is already here, but I think what we're seeing is an increasing um, movement to put this technology into many different types of weapon systems in many different areas. Because in theory, like artificial intelligence and autonomy is applicable to basically every aspect of warfare from, you know, flying F-16s to uh, incorporating, making more sophisticated drones to 
creating simple gun turrets, as is the SGR-A1, which is a South Korean system that reportedly has a fully autonomous option in it. You know, with all of this having applications to every part of the Department of Defense or, like you said, warfare, certainly there is, uh, you know, because it is here, there is going to be a shift in jobs and national security or what the DOD is going to be looking for. Uh, I know that, you know, research and theoretical topics aren't necessarily a topic, a usual career option that we cover here at Clearance Jobs. But I am interested to see just because I, I find it personally interesting, uh, you know, more research and, you know, analyzing. But what advice would you offer anyone who might be interested in going down sort of the similar path that you did? Yeah, that's an interesting one um, and definitely a tough one, because I think in some sense, like I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, so like most of the drone work that I do is actually outside of my regular work, uh, but it happens to be taken off. Now, long term, my hope is to sort of transition to do do some of that more formally. But at least at the moment, I guess the advice I would give is simply to read and think uh, really broadly about what's going on. Because I think national security is perhaps the single most interdisciplinary discipline there is like across everything because if if you think about any particular topic like terrorism for example you can talk about the psychology of terrorism you can talk about the religious factors you can also talk about scientific aspects in terms of like how terrorists build uh, suicide vests or build drones or build uh, seaburn type capabilities but you can also talk about the policy aspects or the organization how national counterterrorism center fits in with the broader intelligence community and the broader infrastructure that goes into uh, response you know, and terrorism, is, of course, is a one subset of broader national security issues. You know, that's not even talked about, like issues with China or what's going on in the Korean Peninsula or India-Pakistan relations. And so I think there's a fundamental need for, no matter where you are, to have that really broad understanding of many different types of issues and particularly an appreciation for how they fit together. And I think it's through that appreciation that some of these like more innovative and interesting aspects sort of come out. So like the way I got into drone swords originally was because I have some background in mathematics and physics. So technology was always something that was not necessarily fascinated me, but it was something I had some decent intuition and comfortability, like browsing through um, scientific literature. And so that's sort of a big part of what, how I got into this is sort of realizing that, oh my goodness, this technology is actually here now. And so I went out and browsed a bunch of technical journals like Nature and various like IEEE type journals to read and better understand like, okay, what is the state of this technology? How does it actually operate? And then incorporating like the background that I have from doing like master's work and undergraduate and more like international policy, terrorism, nonproliferation type issues to sort of understand and think creatively about what exactly this technology might mean and how might it apply to all the various uh, national security issues. In terms of specific careers when it comes to working on the sort of theoretical aspect, um, I think there's a few places that folks interested in that can look. The big obvious uh, are, of course, looking at all the think tanks, and there are so many out there. Um, I sometimes can't keep track of them. I know there's the University of Pennsylvania go-to think tank reports. I think they identified like a thousand think tanks in the United States. Obviously, not all of those are national security related, but you know, there's a lot of options there to choose from. Obviously, PhDs and academia are options as well. Those can be tricky, I think, though, because there are huge issues with uh, finding tenure track positions. And of course, you know, some of the training that you get in like a formal political science or international uh, relations program may not necessarily translate very well to some of the uh, realities of governance where international relations focus is potentially on looking at the scale of like, you know, decades and centuries and how 
fundamentally as international relations work. But I think often the day-to-day realities of government are that you can't even sometimes think more than you know a week ahead. Um, so I had a little bit of involvement with some COVID response work, and you know we were frequently thinking about like you know what are we going to do tomorrow or the week after that, like and think issues that were potential serious that were coming down the line, even like a couple months later, were things that like you don't necessarily have time because simply the demands are so um, incredibly pressing. Other areas folks who look at, I think, are federally funded uh, research development centers. I think I, I did not appreciate when I was in graduate school and undergraduate how significant that they were and how like sort of close to academics where you can do a lot of really high end, really interesting research at, at a like theoretical level. But that's also still very relevant to actual policy. Um, and obviously organizations look at our RAND is, of course, the big one, as well as Center for Naval Analysis, Defense Analysis. MITRE. I know there's a few others. National Labs, of course, and we're all organized that way. So I think there's a number of options out there um, to do that sort of work. Very cool. So uh, yeah, I mean, that was a great answer. You did mention reading, though. And one of the clearance jobs, we do a virtual book club every month. And one of our picks was Burn In by August Cole and P.W. Singer, which I think, you know, most relates to this discussion here. But would you have any other books along those lines that you'd like to share that you have enjoyed? P.W. Singer's Wired for War was really good. Pulling out my Kindle library really briefly to see. Um, so I have a bad, I have a bad memory for like names of books. Um, like when I see them, is really interesting. P.W. Singer's Like War is also really good. Also like Surfaces and Essences by Douglas Hofstadter. I haven't had a chance to f- read it, but I think uh, fully read it. But I think from the parts I have read, it, it reflects very similarly to how I think about things. That is focus on because like you know national security is so interdisciplinary. There's a need I think to focus on common threads, principles that sort of cut across many of these different areas to appreciate better how they fit together. Because I think it's very easy to sort of get down deep in like the weeds of particular, you know, technical terms, particular bureaucratic organizations, and sort of miss some of that big picture. Philip Tetlock's work, Super Forecasting, I thought was wonderful. Not exactly the same, I thought is extremely helpful in like, how do you think about the future and forecasting? Particularly emphasizing sort of that same idea of the importance of generalists, where his research found that um, typical like pundits and folks that we like hold up as experts in uh, you know politics and national security often are actually not very effective at all at predicting where the future is because often they know uh, they may know really narrow things and not necessarily in focus on particular singular issues and therefore miss that big picture. But there are folks who do perform extremely well at forecasting and those who have a really broad uh, set of really broad uh, appreciation for a bunch of different ideas and are willing to sort of change and update their beliefs as new evidence uh, comes to the fore. Yeah, so I, I could probably go all day, but I, uh, on the, some of the books that I like, but I think those those are a few I think that have struck struck me as particularly interesting. Very cool. You mentioned, you know, doing a lot of this, uh, you know, specific to drones in your free time. You know, I think in any career field and any industry, it's really important to have a side hustle. It keeps you exercised. It keeps you motivated. I'm really interested to hear about what you uh, cover at ABS Group, if you don't mind sharing that. Yeah, so I could talk a little bit about that. Um, And actually, I have to talk a little bit sort of abstract. I'm, I believe, I think technically a risk analyst. So generally, I'm doing support for various government agencies around uh, program management and risk analysis and uh, doing various ad hoc research because, you know, that's obviously a little bit where my skills lie um, and trying to but my main focus is like trying to figure out ways that like to make the government um, function better. So most of my professional background is more in like the consulting world. So originally I was at Answer where I was working on a wide variety of homeland security 
high-level consulting, problem solving to figure out how do you get different organizations to work better together? How do you understand priorities around what should particular organizations do? which is sort of advance our equities as well as work together with other agencies. I think more generally, uh, ABS Group, the sort of marketing version is that we're trusted risk advisors with data-driven solutions, do natural hazards risk management, COVID-19 response and testing services. To me, I think like to me, my impression is the company is really about like safety, security and risk. And how do you advance And What I really appreciate is like, how do you advance that fundamental mission? Like, that's really why all of us are here is, you know, to keep people in the United States, the global community. And of course, just the people that we care about in our own lives uh, safe and secure from all the various hazards and risks that may cause them harm. So do you do so many things because you love both so equally with the research and the drones and work at ABS group? Or do you really just love to stay that busy? (laughs) Uh, There's probably a little bit of all of it. In undergraduate, I did a double major in math and international relations with minors in German physics and history, and then did a bunch of audited classes in psychology and economics. So I think there's definitely a part of it of like, yeah, I just like being busy. Um, But I think I'm also just generally really interested um, in a wide variety of things. And I think that's really when it comes down to it, why I'm in national security, because there's so much change, there's so many potential issues to get into. Um, It's just a way to make sure that like, you know, I'm never going to, you're never going to be bored because there's always going to be a new issue. There's always going to be something new to learn about. Even your undergrad sounds like a mad scientist, (laughs) dude. Uh, so any new pieces, uh, that you're writing or research that you'll be sharing that, you know, we can, uh, look out for as, you know, we enter a new decade, uh, 2021 and well, last year doesn't count, uh, and new potential threats within the field. Yeah. So my big interest, as I said, like drone swarms, I'm trying to expand on that. So my main big argument at the moment is that I believe that drone swarms are potential futures of future weapons of mass destruction, particularly where you have that combination of potentially scalable harm where you have hundreds to thousands of drones. And some of the challenges we get with artificial intelligence where they're not necessarily yet suited to distinguish effectively between civilian and military targets, except in very, very prescribed uh, scenarios, potentially. And so I want to expand on that um, in a couple different directions. I very much am interested in looking at the potential for arms control measures. I want to think, so if we're, like if these are potentially WMD, like, you know, CBRN, uh, then an obvious question is, okay, what lessons are there from addressing CBRN um, issues that might be applicable from verification to building international norms to developing international treaties to export controls to, you know, what do we do in the case of like some someone decides to un- unleash some really untested swarm on like a heavily civilian population and kills a bunch of people? Like, what do we do about that? You know, what should we do? What should the international community do? And I'm also interested in sort of going back to this, where we started around uh, September 11th and understanding like, okay, what does this mean for terrorist organizations? Um, to what extent can they get that ca- type of capability and what might they potentially do? And of course, most importantly, you know, what do we do about it from a security perspective to mitigate that risk and try to understand it better? Sure. Well, uh, sounds like a lot, a lot that goes above my head. But one thing I do know, you know, uh, collaboration between government, industry, and especially academic when it comes to this research is really important. So closing thoughts, Zach, uh, because of, you know, how much these types of threats are changing so frequently and quickly, you know, from our adversaries, what do you think is going to make the U.S. successful in its work combating them in the future? That's a good question. Um Unfortunately, I'm not sure there is any particular easy answer. Say, hey, go do X and you'll sort of make everything better. I think there's definitely a need to 
under like I guess fundamentally you need to better understand you know where are these issues and better characterize what they are because in some ways I think they are while there are similar risks I think in some ways they're uh, different right insofar as like because like drone technology for example is so widely available where I can just go to Best Buy or Amazon and pick up a drone with some fairly sophisticated autonomous capability that's a little bit different than say like acquiring a nuke where you need really major infrastructure to really huge technical skills um, obviously the, the harms there are also fairly different as well um, but thinking about how do you deal with that problem where really the private sector is driving a lot of this and it's also incredibly available and how do you deal with that i think that implies a need to uh, certainly engage with the private sector communities as well as to some extent like emphasize I suppose, domestic aspects of law enforcement, security issues, and understanding where where are the, where is this uh, knowledge, where is this technology, how is it, in what ways is it spreading. Likewise, I think there's definitely a need to focus on cyber aspects. Now, like verifying like the transfer of like software and programs is nigh impossible, but, but I think that's one of the unfortunate reality is that needs to be a pretty particular aspect. So if we talk about like swarming, some of this in artificial intelligence, much of that sophistication is in the actual like code and software and program. It's not like a physical physical widget that we can sort of touch and handle. And that means that there needs to be a shift in sort of how we think about and respond to those issues. Beyond that, I think there's also the globalization aspect of it as well, particularly where if this technology is so simple, if these technologies are so simple, um, what happens if this goes sort of everywhere? What does that mean for states? And what does that mean for global security? As we saw uh, recently in the conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan, in which there's some debate over how significant drones were uh, to the conflict, but was fairly obvious that at least they were quite significant in terms of destroying large amounts of Armenian um, tanks and other uh, military capabilities. What happens if that technology gets enhanced with AI and becomes everywhere? Um, I think that's a really big issue that uh, needs to be tackled. Complicated answer for a complicated question that I asked you. Thank you so much for joining me, Zach, for talking about drones, sort of your motivations for joining national security, your favorite book picks. Really appreciate it. But for everyone listening, uh, if you want to learn more about cyber, about the collaboration between industry and government and the private sector, drones or other weird career advice, maybe some weird projects that DARPA is working on, you can visit news.clearancejobs.com. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of ClearedCast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.